0: It is Pentecost Sunday, and so Bevan said that I have to dust off one of my Pentecost sermons. I couldn't quite bring myself just to do that, so I'm going to try and bring some new thoughts as well. But I thought we would start by reading Acts chapter 2. The story is so extraordinary. In fact, it's so extraordinary, it reminded me of uh, a book I have. Um, by a friend of mine. He was in our previous church. So Tim was a bit of a nutter. He was a kayaker who took those plastic Tupperware kayaks and paddled the most insane rivers in the world. I should have. So there goes Tim over the waterfalls. There's a little orange Tupperware in the middle of all that white water. But what made me think about this is, at one point, they high up in the Andes Mountains, the book is called Three Rivers, and he tried to paddle the three main tributaries of the Amazon before he paddled the Amazon itself. And uh, that's pretty intense. So one expedition was like in his 30s, and next in his 40s, and then eventually in his 50s. Uh, And so, you know a lot of work to stay fit and keep going and, uh, and and so as he was doing it but at some point they'd be high up in the mountains and they'd be walking towards the source so they could start to kayak now as they're walking towards the source they think here it is we've we've reached the source only to climb over a mountain or two and find that the river's been running and then it got pressed underground so he says where the river went underground they wisely went over land and so he says uh, the river called the marionon disappeared under the rocks for example at one one point for almost a kilometer and he nearly followed it in so they racing the rapids and then they come around a corner and there's suddenly a boiling hole sucking everything and making it disappear. Now, at one point, and this is just simple logic, it's got to stop doing that and become the Amazon eventually. And and a little Pentecost is a little bit like the point at which the Amazon River reaches the surface never to go underground again. So the water's been falling in the highlands, And there's been all these springs and streams and glaciers and a whole bunch of stuff that's coming there. But there's coming a point at which the river is going to burst into the open in an unmistakable way, never to go underground again. Got the picture? Acts chapter 2. Now when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, like the the sound, like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven, filled the whole house where they were sitting, and they saw what seemed, seemed to be tongues of fire that then separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages or tongues, as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard in their own language what was being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Like, do these guys not come from Philippolis? You know, that's sort of like... How on earth do th- are they this cosmopolitan? How is it that each of us hears them in our native language. Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Now, if you look at a map in that space, literally that is like the full clock, from 12 o'clock all the way around To 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock again. It is like as far as the known world of the Roman Empire, pretty much people would travel to a festival at any point. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them, and they said they've had too much wine. Seems that some people find themselves always tempted to find another explanation for the actions of God. Peter stood up with the eleven, so he called a friend. Notice, I mean, in the end it was Peter, but, but they all stood up. But eventually he raises his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. This is always good evangelism, when something amazing is happening and then you literally having to explain to people. What they are experiencing. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. (laughs) No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Young men will see visions. Old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit and they will prophesy. Now, the language used there is not just of young and old, but the language of servanthood is actually of men servants and women servants, which was the lowliest estate of any person in the Roman empire. In other words, this is going to break through all the social barriers that qualified and disqualified people. I will show wonders in the heaven above, signs in the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness, the moon to blood, before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord Will be saved. Don't miss that. Whatever else of incredible importance is going on, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, and Peter knows he's going to give them the name, (laughs) and it's going to surprise the Jews as to who the Lord is on whom they must call. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Here comes the name. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death, By nailing him to a cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. How he managed not to explain that sentence, (laughs) he just quotes. The Old Testament, David's psalm. I saw the Lord always before me. Because he is my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad. My tongue rejoices. My body will rest in hope. Because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Quote from Psalm 16. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried. His tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet. And he knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. And so seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the anointed one, or the Messiah. Now this is, this is royal language, by the way. It's not religious language. It's political language. The Messiah is a king in Israel. That's what they called their kings. And that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life. We are all witnesses. We are all witnesses of it. That God has raised him to life. Exalted to the right hand of God. He has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit. And has poured out what you now see and hear. What you're experiencing in the work of the Spirit is the fulfillment of the actions of God in Jesus Christ in history. For David did not ascend to heaven, yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus. Whom you crucified. Both Lord and Messiah. Using the Roman title and the Jewish title. He's king. Not Caesar. He's king. Not Caiaphas. He's king. Not Herod. God has made this Jesus. Both Lord and Messiah. And when the people heard this. They were cut to the heart. Why? Because of this Jesus whom you crucified. You know, when you've backed the wrong team. <laughs> I mean, there's, there's people who are not even church, in church tonight because they've backed the wrong team. They'd love to be at a gloat, but they've backed the wrong team for a long time. And then there's that horrible moment of realization. Cut to the heart. Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, as we heard it explore this morning, repent and become a Baptist. (laughs) No, no, no. You don't have to be a Baptist to go to heaven, but why take the chance? Okay. (laughs) Sorry, enough naughtiness. (laughs) Repent and be baptized. Every one of you. He's speaking to the collective, and yet he wants to make this so personal, so direct. And you're going to do this in the name of Jesus, the Messiah, for the forgiveness of your sins. And then you will receive, too, the promised gift of the Holy Spirit. And this promise is for you, for your children, for all who are far off. For all whom the Lord our God will call. So Jesus describes the Holy Spirit as the gift the Father promised. The gift that we can wait. And he says, wait in the city until you get this gift. And then in chapter 1, being super simple on the day of ascension, he says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses. The disciples go through that whole journey. They obey Jesus' command to wait and pray. And out of all this comes, this incubating prayer, comes the Holy Spirit in breaking into history. Now, he has been there in the Old Testament all along. He's been in the highlands. He's been in the streams. He's been subterranean. He has been there since Genesis chapter 1. Make no mistake. But there is something about his work. And there have been times when he's been so powerful and so evident, so unmistakable. But something is about to happen in history through the work of Jesus the Christ. That is going to bring the life of the Spirit fully and completely permanently into the church. In a way... That he's never, ever meant to go back underground, (laughs) go back into the background, go back into the highlands. No. From this point on, the river flows for all to see it. Because Peter says, this is what you now hear. This is what you now see. Now the fact that that doesn't describe church history doesn't mean that that's not God's purpose. That the church has gone through moments when it seems hard all over again to discern where God is. and Maybe even right now, we're in a place where in history people would look back in South Africa and say, Wow, it's hard to see where God is at work in our country right now. But if you have the eyes of faith, I promise you, for all the junk that's going on, our God is at work. He's not underground. The river is flowing And it's our task to find this out. The first thing as we come to this, to just see, now that this river is flowing, Holy Spirit manifests in prophetic phenomena. I mean, there's so much going on here. There's sound. It's like a mighty rushing wind. There's sight. What looked like tongues of fire. The picture from Joel is like People dancing in the rain. The Spirit being poured out on all flesh. And there's these crowds of people. And literally there's this outpouring. You know, it's just like the the rain of God is falling on this new humanity. And, dare I say, a little bit later, one of the prophetic signs is the impact of God's preached word people are cut to the heart. And there's the fruit of repentance. And there's the fruit of lives being changed. So much so, by the end of the chapter, we just read of people reinventing their lives out of the repentance that came earlier. And the creativity and the word plays inside these phenomena. I I, I mean, this is like... For a theologian and a Bible scholar, Acts chapter 2 has to have just about every possible strand. If you took different theological ideas and you gave it a color in a ball of wool and then you took another, lo- another lot of ideas, Acts chapter 2 is a little bit like those streams now. Uh, maybe I'm mixing the metaphors, but it, it's like it all comes into this like w- one chapter so much. It's like all those streams that were flowing, the presence of God, the holiness of God, the power of God, the, 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 the justice of God, as he's, as he's literally taking hold of the maidservants, the least, the most downtrodden, are being given the absolute best. Like all the themes of Scripture, all the streams, whether they're coming from the glaciers or the mountaintops or from the subterranean, they are bursting into this one chapter. The prophetic density inside this chapter is just mind-blowing. And if you read Acts chapter 2, going back, there's a scholar called Craig Keener, and he literally takes a few hundred pages on these chapters just to try and source all. All the things and cross-reference. His cross-references are longer than his commentary on the book of Acts. Because he's trying to find all the biblical ideas that have been there in the highlands and that have now come to the fore and are never meant to go underground again. You get the picture? And the fact is that, yes, the Christ event From his birth to his full ascension into glory and crowning, plus Pentecost, is the center of history. If you think of the Pentecost meaning, you go all the way back to Acts chapter 1 and you find yourself tracing it all the way to Revelation 22. The ideas, the streams, the rivers, the life, the breath, all of those ideas. It's one of the most crucial pivot points in interpreting all of scripture you know the old testament or just one extra from us uh, ezekiel 37 for example ezekiel stares at what seems to be absolutely hopeless a slaughtered army that has rotted and there's just dry, dry bones. And he prophesies and they get their, their, their skin and their flesh and their tendons and the hip bone joins to the leg bone. And the leg bone joins to the knee bone. And the knee boi- bone joins to the toe bone. No, they would be deformed. You know, he puts all of them in the right space. And eventually you get to the toe bone. And all the flesh is there, but it's still dead. There's no life. And then the Lord said to me, Son of man, prophesy. Speak to the wind. Prophesy. Say to it. This was, is what sovereign Yahweh says. Come Ruach. Come from the four winds. Breathe into the fallen. Breathe into the slain. I will make them live again. And so I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath of God entered them. They came to life. They stood to their army, a vast army, and he said to me, Son of man, people are saying, our bones are dry. Our hope is gone. We are cut off. I want you to prophesy to them and say, this is what sovereign Yahweh says. My people, I open up graves, I bring you out of them, I will bring you back to the land of Israel. You, my people, will know that I am the Lord. When I open up graves, when I lift you out, I will put my spirit in you and you will live. That's just one. (laughs) Just one of the pictures that is inside this space. Let alone the river that will flow from Jerusalem in chapter 47. Let alone the new covenant that has a new heart and a new spirit inside the people of God. Let alone all the prophecies of Isaiah. And so you go Genesis 1 all the way to Revelation 22. And it's incredible that when you get to the very end and all things are being made new, we'll still be saying, with the members of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we'll still be saying, come, come. Bride says, come, Lord Jesus. The children say, come, Abba. And the Father says, come, my children. And the body says, come, Holy Spirit. We're still meant to be leaning into that expectation. You know, we never get over expecting times of refreshing from the Lord. Read the book of Acts with a little bit of a a fresh lens. Pentecost is not supposed to be a once-off that then settles these moments of encounter, of filling and refreshing. Peter actually says it in a sermon in Acts 3 verse 19. Guys, turn from your junk, seek the face of God, because more times of refreshing will flow from before His face or from His presence. And again and again, I'm in mean, Acts chapter four, the whole building shakes, and what is it? It describes almost another Pentecost. Again, they're filled. This time, the building is trembling. The building's trembling because there's a church inside it. The building's trembling because there's a church filled with the Holy Spirit inside it. He comes in power. So there's this magnificent, biblical. Prophetic layering that is being brought into this space. But notice what he does for his people. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. There is a boldness. You see, not only is it a new speech in languages they couldn't speak before, and by the way, they weren't kind of being translated and, you know, they weren't preaching. In tongues. So it's very clear, they were just declaring the wonders of God. People were going, how, do, how are we hearing the wonders of God? What are the wonders of God? The wonders of God, clearly. But the thing that, that, that carried them into the street, out of the upper room, was this boldness. There's this new courage, conviction. On them, and they look at all Israel and they were hiding from them 50 days before. Now they stand in front of them and they say, God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, whom you crucified, and like there's 12 of them and another 120, you know, sort of like also contagious. Um, and it's not many, but Peter stood up with the 11, but it doesn't matter. Because the courage of God and the boldness of the Lord himself is now resting upon them. They know who is king and they're not afraid of any other demagogues. Now this power comes in many different ways. And yes, there's tongues and teaching and preaching and prophecy and evangelism, proclamation, all in this one chapter. And then you've still got to get to the signs and wonders by verse 43. And in this space, as God prepares them and comes to them, they experience something of Isaiah's experience. Remember, the seraph flew with coals from the altar and touched them. This time, the tongues of fire come and rest on them. It's another picture. And Isaiah gets told, say to them. And as the fire rests, their mouths are opened. They begin to speak. And they're speaking in languages known and unknown and the once, what was once a terrifying thought the thought of being identified with Jesus you know Peter knows this was scary like i don't know the man damn it i don't know the man he is god's christ Their greatest ambition is to tell the world what they were afraid to acknowledge. They've literally been changed on the inside. And of course, it's been noted, another parallel comes from Genesis chapter 11, the story of Babel, in which there's this really scary thought from God, That if humans are aligned with each other but dark, there is no limit to what they can do but in their darkness. And so one of the gifts of God is to send in a confusion of languages so that they cannot be aligned with each other. Human potential united in self-interest, almost unlimited harm. Pretty sobering thought. Because we're made in the image of God. We distort that for ourselves, we cause untold suffering. So God in his mercy divides uh, humanity. Until the power of their unity can safely be restored. It's on this day in Jerusalem. 1,990 years ago, according to Bevan's calendar. <laughs> Pentecost is Babel reversed. The divisions of language surpassed now by the language of the Spirit of God. Languages of human and angelic origin. Language of worship and praise, declaring the wonders of God. And we see Babel reversed, in which the alienation of humanity Sees the reconciliation and the reconnection of the body of Christ. The unity broken up into many parts, now becoming one. The loss of purpose and power. Like we were never meant to not have authority, we were just not meant to use it for bad reasons. And so now the power and the authority being restored to God's people as stewards of His will, carrying His spirit and His heart. On the earth. One commentator says of this passage, often the Holy Spirit first appears on those who are witnessing and then quickly on those who are listening. And in one it may be in boldness and in the other it's in a deep response to God's word. Both matter. One is not better than the other. Both are important. But notice that the Holy Spirit is so intimately connected to to, to Scripture. This event, I mean I've tried to show you all along, has been absolutely informed and, and, and saturated with ideas and truths and realities that God has been working and has now burst into the open. But as you, if you do the Alpha course with us, you'll hear this again. But in simplest terms, Peter's sermon can be: This is biblical. I, I know it seems new, but I promise you, this is according to the Scriptures. This is according to God's Word. And he quotes three chapters—I mean, three passages—from uh, memory, like verbatim. And then he also references multiple others. This life giving day in the story of history of mankind and the church is biblical. It's not like some random hobby horse of a particular denomination or movement. It's the Word of God. Secondly, this is Jesus. Pentecost does not detract from Jesus. Pentecost proclaims Jesus again and again. Pentecost reveals Jesus. Pentecost makes Jesus real. And it bears witness to his presence and his power here now. The centerpiece of the gospel is the person of Jesus. He is God's redemption revealed And he accomplished this through his ministry, bringing God's rule in everyday ways. And he calls us to do the same. Not because we are in any way authorized as he was, because he was without sin. But through his death and resurrection, when we enter by faith into that journey with him, we enter into the authority of his message as well. And then of course, this is biblical, this is Jesus, and this is for you. It's not for the person next door, it's not for the people long ago, it's for you. It's for you. Ethan, it's for your children. And for all who are far off, I know you haven't got them yet, but you know. Um, it's like everyone who, everyone who hears this, everyone who hears the call of God, this gift, this promise, this truth, tonight is for us. It's for me. It's for you. So what do we face? We face the challenge to let this message cut us to the heart as well. Like, where have I been living as if the river's somewhere 100 miles underground and not to be seen or known? And maybe one day back when, you know, Jesus comes again, hopefully all the good stuff can happen again. No. This is the gospel's journey for us. And maybe there's literally stuff that Jesus had to take to the cross and die for, that's still messing with my life. And I need to feel that conviction that the Holy Spirit brings. Cut to the heart. Not to be shamed, but to break its power over my story. And then the other thing is, do what gifted people do. You know, there was a point on this day when Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, out there on the streets, it's almost, up until that point it seems like just, they were just responsive. They were just responding to what was going on. And everyone was amazed and some people were skeptical and know they've had too much wine and whatever it is. And he's listening and he, in a, there's, there comes a moment in the story where they could have just had a great experience. But Peter stands up. Peter stands up. I worry that we've lost the stand-up part of Pentecost in our world today. We're wanting, and they are, it's so right to see God's healing, to see God's power, to see God's mercy breaking through. But he said, you'll receive power. You'll be my witnesses. And there is a boldness that comes to those whose hearts are fully convinced, He's the God. Jesus, he's the one. He is the Lord and Christ. And if I'm thinking other people are more powerful, if I'm thinking other people are more impressive, if I'm thinking other people have a greater say, then I will lack the confidence that Peter had to stand up. Part of Pentecost is for us to hear today. It's time to stand up. And speak the name of Jesus and tell people about his salvation. There's no other name given under heaven whereby we may be saved. I mean chapter three just begins to, you know, rock and roll with the encounter with the powers as the pushback to this message came. And it's precisely in the pushback that the place where they prayed was shaken, and they filled with the Holy Spirit again. And they, they keep the boldness. And they keep the boldness. And they keep the boldness. And I suppose the challenge to me tonight is, Craig, have you kept your courage to speak the name of Jesus? Peter raised his voice. He did what he'd seen his master do. And as he did, the same kind of anointing The same Jesus kind of authority, the same kind of power, the same freedom, the same impact, the stuff he had seen happen again and again when his master spoke. That day, he saw 3,000 people respond to his master's voice through him. We do what gifted people do. Peter had watched for three and something years. And then he knew, now it's my turn. I do what I saw him do. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. So yes, we do open ourselves up to the conviction and repentance ourselves, we never just coming to this message thinking other people need to change. We never. But we never only personalize it and never carry it out into the streets. There's a time to stand and to say his name and let people know who he is.